This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, flamethrowers. Um, we here at Burn It All Down are heartbroken and outraged by the violent racist attack last week um, in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, at three Asian spas, which killed eight people, including six Asian women. Um, Over the course of the pandemic, racist and violent attacks on the Asian community have increased by some accounts as much as um, 1,900%. Our Shireen did a hot take last week with Dr. Courtney Zito and Alex Wong on anti-Asian hate. And I hope you all take time to go listen to it right now. I learned so much from their conversation. Um, Here's a clip from Dr. Zito. So I think what we've seen with respect to anti-Asian racism is it comes in waves. Um, And that the violence is kind of sporadic and it revolves around something like SARS or Japanese internment or when Trump calls it the China virus. So in a way, this wave of violence gives us a little bit of insight or like particular generations into what black communities face on a daily basis. Um, So I think this is just kind of like a peak that we're seeing uh, of a lot of different things coming together at the same time. So uh, on most days, the racism that Asians face is about like invisibility, invisibility in the media. We don't get to see ourselves. Um, and then every once in a while, it, it peaks up into these um, more violent manifestations. And, and this is the time that we find ourselves in right now. We urge you all not only to go listen to this um, episode and to listen to the voices um, of the Asian American Um, and Pacific Islander community, um, but also to donate uh, money. Um, There's so many places to highlight, um, but I particularly want to highlight the work of Red Canary Song, a grassroots collective of Asian and migrant sex workers, which organizes transnationally. Um, They're the only grassroots Chinese massage parlor worker coalition in the United States. Um, We've talked about them on this show before. So we're going to include a link to where you can donate to them. And also they have a collection of all of the GoFundMes set up by the families of the victims um, of the hate crime last week. And so that's also a great way to go directly support those families. All right, flamethrowers, it has been a week, (laughs) but we're so glad to be back here with you all for another episode of Burn It All Down, where uh, once again, we just got a big old, big old burn pile throughout the show. Of course, I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined today by Jessica and Amira. Hi, Jessica and Amira. Hi, Linz. Hi, Amira. We will be discussing the NCAA, uh, one of our favorite 
things to discuss. And of course, this week, talking about the inequities between the men's and women's tournament. The people reporting harm are athletes themselves. They're just female athletes. And so thinking about like the clear hierarchies of who matters and how we can see that in something as basic as a weight room. Uh, I just want to note that we're recording this on Sunday morning. So before the the women's tournament games will be starting right as we finish. So um, we won't cover anything on here that happens uh, during the first uh, round. But I think a lot of this stuff will still be applicable as you're listening. Um, But first, look, we are... Beyond the outrage, we are here in the NCAA tournament. We we are here in March. Do you all have a favorite uh, memory, favorite March Madness memory, Jess? Yeah, mine. I feel like everyone can predict this. It's Arike Ugambale. <laughs> yeah. I just, I know there's recentism. And when we think about these things, but really the two, the semifinal buzzer beater followed by the final buzzer beater in a row, just... I don't know, I was watching it again last night prepping for this, and your heart just leaps out of your chest every time she falls over, and she still hits it. It's amazing. Uh, I was trying to think for the men. I just don't remember specifics a lot. I'm very much like a Cinderella bandwagon person. I like the buzzer beaters. I don't really care who it is. So I didn't. I couldn't like pinpoint. I, I know I watched a game once where a dude from some team scored like eight points on his own in the last 16 seconds or something. And I remember, you know, screaming my face off about a team I can't even remember today. But yeah, I don't know. I just I don't have a specific one for the men. But Enrique will always probably from here on out be my women's March Madness memory. Yeah, that's fair. Amira? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I have a a favorite. I have like painful memories. Like I remember UMass losing to Georgetown like I don't know I was like eight or six or something and I just remember sobbing in the Mullen Center like I I love how dramatic all of your random (laughs) stories are I was very upset like it really I believe you (laughs) um every time you tell a Samari story I'm like oh yes okay right Amir's fandom (laughs) yeah I don't I don't know if I have like specifics I you know you know me like I love all the highs and 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 suffer through the lows and and it's not easy for me to get emotionally invested like I didn't give a damn about Oral Roberts except for the name being Oral Roberts except for um I don't know if you saw the video uh uh Lex's teammate on A&M, Anna, her boyfriend plays for Oral Roberts and her watching them pull off the upset and she's like literally shaking the TV and trying to kiss the TV. And it's the funniest clip. And so that got me very emotionally invested in Oral Roberts because I want more of the two of them winning and being happy together and they're like super attractive selves. Yeah, uh... I also like it's one of those things where I feel like I could watch each March like tournaments over and over again and just forget it kind of immediately. Right. Because it's just this yes. kind of like, uh, you know, it's it's just so specific to this time and the games are one offs. But I always I mean, I've watched so much of it, but Arike, of course. And then, you know, I think it was the year before that where Mississippi State upset UConn in yes. the end of that game. I was um, the Morgan William, I think it was, a uh, buzzer mm-hmm. beater. And I was at, a, like, my friends and I decided to go to uh, 
the the back when we could go to things, we decided to have a fancy night where we all dressed up and went to like a ballet at the Lincoln Center, like randomly in DC. <laughs> and it happened to be though that night. And I had thought, well, it's UConn's probably gonna blow them out. So like I'm not too worried about like oh. missing that. And then we're at the bar watching. I mean, I am in more dressed up than I've ever been in my whole life. Like it's after the ballet. And I just told my friends, I have to go. Like I have to be home to watch the second <laughs> half of this game. So I just like left all of my friends and Ubered home to watch that uh, but also for the men anytime Carolina went has won it all has been a great uh, experience for me personally <laughs> can I just add that Morgan William one of my favorite things in the whole world is that when they asked her afterwards what she saw when she let go of the basketball she said she saw opportunity oh, and oh, I was like just oh. it was such she was not only ice in her veins with that shot but like just perfection in the interview afterwards. That's one of those things that I would find so cheesy and ridiculous from anyone except uh, someone in women's sports in that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and she delivered it perfectly. So this week as, or last week, I should say, as we all got ready for, um, you know, the NCAA tournament for the first time now in two years, I know I was focused on how wide open this women's tournament feels and just feeling really, really pumped to, you know, ignoring the COVID voice in my head, but just feeling excited for to see these players get this chance at the stage. Um, as someone who's followed Maryland really closely, they're looking so good. And so I've been hyping them up to people being like, you're overlooking them. And then the story changes when um, the visuals are shared. It started by a Stanford athletic trainer, and then the players themselves started sharing them as well of the women's weight room. And I'm Doing some air quotes over the word room and the word weight. Um, yeah, so we we saw a photo of this tiny little weight rack <laughs> uh, compared to what their male counterparts had, which was a huge room filled with weights that um, had clearly a lot of time and attention and resources been put into. And it was an example of how uh, the women... Uh, women's tournament is not getting the same treatment as their male counterparts. And I think the images struck a chord for a lot of reasons that we can get into. But of course, they weren't the end of the story. Then CAA came out and said, well, it was a space issue. Um, And then, of course, we see the videos (laughs) of the fact that um, it was this tiny rack of weights in the middle of this big open space. So it was obviously not a space issue. But the inequities ran deeper, um, as they always do, um, from the swag bags being completely, um, you know, so much less for the women to the testing being different, um, to the rules um, and regulations and care that the, the female athletes are being given. And I just kind of want to open up the floor to say, like, what for you all, what stuck out to you the most? Uh, you know, we talk about inequity so much on the show. And but it's it's kind of rare to have a week where, like, all the all the uh, talking is done for us like through these visuals, like where it's you can point to something so stark. Um, and so it's been it's been interesting. Jess, what stuck out to you? Yeah, I mean, lots of things. It, it it was kind of that that feeling of like it's so blatant. How do you even talk about it? Because like, how do you describe something that's so 
obvious. I will say, of course, because I've been working on LSU and I've been thinking a lot about athletic departments' responses to gendered violence. And one of the things I get asked like all the time is, how does this stuff happen? And when I look at this, I think constantly of the spectrum that all these athletes are on. Because, of course, in a lot of these cases, including at LSU, the people reporting harm are athletes themselves. They're just female athletes. And so thinking about like the clear hierarchies of who matters and how we can see that in something as basic as a weight room, uh, but also when we do these terrible reports about like how who gets valued, whose experience and uh, and worth matters in these departments, it's really clear here. And I just want to mention one thing in particular. They're obviously playing these games and these, you know, quote unquote bubbles, the one in Indianapolis for the men and the one in San Antonio for the women. And as everything was coming out, Gino Ariema told reporters that the men's team are for COVID testing, that they're using daily PCR tests, whereas the women's team are using these daily antigen tests, which are not as good at detecting COVID as what the men are getting, but the men's tests are just so much more expensive. And I was talking to my friend Dan Solomon, who lives here and has been reporting on COVID stuff in Texas. And he immediately said to me that this is weird because it's in San Antonio. And I'm just going to quote what Dan actually tweeted. So he wrote, one additional piece of relevant context is that San Antonio, where the women's tournament's being held, is one of the few cities in the country that has a lab that is specifically built to process PCR COVID tests cheaply and within hours rather than days. There's a very obvious equity issue in using expensive, high-quality rapid PCR tests for men and cheap, lower-quality rapid antigen tests for women. But if they tried, which is always key here, right? If they tried, they could at least attempt to split the difference by processing conventional PCR tests quickly in San Antonio. They literally have one of the few labs in the country that does this exact work. And it just is so obvious that they didn't put the like lack of thought and care and planning here is so chilling and it matters when it comes to like weight rooms but like we're talking about a global pandemic and they didn't even put the basic time in to figure out about the best way to protect these women's health when they're playing in this so-called bubble in a state that has now we have everything's 100% open we have no masks right or you don't have to have a mask on I guess uh and that part of it just dry. I mean, this is their lives. And they couldn't even take the time to care enough. Whew, Amira. Yeah, um, I would say that I was um, not, not surprised about the subpar conditions and the afterthought of the tournament, because it's been an afterthought. Um, I was most surprised that um, Ali's tweet went viral. Ellie Kirshner's, uh, who's the Stanford performance coach who put up her the photos of the weight room initially. And then the fact that the voices like Sidonia and, and stuff like that piling up on it created um, a way that you could not turn away from it, right? That it went viral, that it started trending. And I think that that, to me, is a little bit of what is different. Um, and then watching, obviously, the tournament officials like scramble to try to justify things but of course I have been you know talking to my cousin and 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 getting food pictures and things like that and everything was kind of underwhelming from the get-go right like uh, some of her teammates were unpacking the swag bags and were like here's a random umbrella and here's 
a random water bottle and it's like even like social media exists we see and a lot of them have connections and friends on the men's side and something as simple as like disproportionate puzzle pieces in a puzzle like it's like even the details are aimed at reminding you that you don't matter so I was talking to Alexis who plays for Texas A&M and one of the things um that you know, was really great is Texas A&M had provided them with their own kind of tournament swag box that had shoes, multiple shoes and, you know, gear and like um, shirts about social justice and like all of these things. And it was like a deep container. And to go to the NCAA and to get to San Antonio and to have, you know, not even a red carpet roll, just like not, you know, like every detail. And when I say every detail, I mean, Things like there was no kind of collective outdoor space available in San Antonio. So like the most outdoor space they got was walking from the hotel to the COVID testing center that just just, you know, talked about. Um, Whereas if you look at the tournament planning in Indy, there are outdoor spaces where people can get some air and safely congregate and things like that. And so I think that I think for me, um, it's the kind of detailed things that NCAA officials just bet on people not paying attention to. And when you line them up next to each other, one after another, after another, the picture, the irrefutable picture that is painted is constant reminders that you are not worth it, that you are not enough, that, you know, you should just be happy to get your 150 piece puzzle and an umbrella and like shoddy card to go to download a digital library. Like these are, these are the things, right? And then as, as Jessica just pointed out, there's some like larger considerations at play, um, that aren't just affecting the players. And one of the things, one of these little details, for instance, is the way that the NCAA just absolutely dropped the ball in offering support for childcare and breastfeeding children for coaches in this tournament um mainly that they're counting against the the travel party limit including nursing infants right and so um this comes on the heels of like you know a year and a half or so of the NCAA putting out like we support women coaches and absolutely you can be a coach and a mom and you can do all of that but putting people in a position where they have to choose to like literally provide sustenance and life to nursing infants or, you know, knowing that counts against their travel party Um, or, you know, for, for people who are going to be in the, in the tournament, some people could be here for a month and not being able to, you know, I watched um, uh, one of Lex's assistant coach do a very emotional goodbye to her kid. Right. And these are, details that they hope that nobody will see but completely flies in the face of all the you know headlines and brochures and feel-good posters and all the bullshit that you knew was bullshit but I think it's moments like this where you can really see just how stark the contrast is between what they purport you know and what is happening especially as you know they're tweeting out about International Women's Day and Women's History Month and all you know empowerment and it's like no nah, we we see what your priorities really are you know and and I'm I'm glad it was I'm glad it went viral you know but it it shouldn't take it going viral for us to pay attention to these details it really shouldn't I mean they did I guess I don't even want to say the phrase to their credit but they did 
rare, rare, in about 24 hours after this went viral, get a weight room up, which I think, A, shows how possible it was to do in the beginning and how this wasn't this impossible task. Like, you just had to put a teeny bit of effort into it. Although I do want to say if anyone has seen the new the photos of the new weight room, there are these like blue and orange like mood lights popping up from the ground like all around that makes it feel like a spa, except it's obviously not a spa because it's obviously a like a you know, there are these curtains. And for some reason, it just cracked me up because it was like, we still got to make things, you know, feel pretty. And I just want like yeah, a feminine. feminine and I just want like a 10,000 word like piece on like how that lighting scheme came to be, <laughs> like whose idea it was and like the execution. But anyways, it's so much more, as we know, than just a rack of weights. It's just, it's not treating these women like they're elite athletes. And then at the end of the day, blaming them when they don't have the audience for, or the, um, you know, generate the revenue that the men do in, you know, this nonprofit place where they're not getting paid. But anyways, so one of my favorites was Sedona Prince's uh, video from TikTok, the organ player. Uh, it went viral and it was, I have to say, as a film major, it was the perfect way to describe the situation. The beats, the reveal of the amount of space in the weight room, the use of the NCAA's quote, every single bit of it. There was not a bit of wasted space, including at the end when she said that if this doesn't bother you, you're part of the problem. You know, we talk about kind of the reactions and talked about the TikTok um, and how that went viral. But were there any any sort of reactions that that stood out to you, Jess? Yeah, I really appreciated all the WNBA players who like immediately put all this stuff on blast. And I thought it was interesting. Laisha Clarendon from the New York Liberty, they tweeted, I love this generation of college basketball players because the fearlessness they have to speak up about injustices is something I didn't have in college. The grateful and happy to be here women's athlete is a thing of the past. I'm celebrating that fact today. Proud of y'all. And I totally understand what Laisha is saying here. But I do think that this is as much a result of whatever's going on with this generation, but they are seeing these WNBA players standing up and speaking out and having a collective voice and saying this isn't good enough. They are watching all of these women's soccer teams across the world uh, come together and, and demand better and demand more and demand it now. And I think that you can't separate out what that is. I mean, COVID, I'm sure, plays a role in this and how everyone has shifted their understanding of their worth in this time. But I really... You know, I just I saw a lot of people responding to Alicia like, but you're part of the reason like, yeah, maybe you couldn't have done this in college, but you're the reason they can do this now. And then I just want to give a shout out to Cindy, uh, Cindy Colson of the Chicago Sky. She's hilarious. And so the first thing she did that I absolutely loved was she took this sort of sad picture of the one weight rack in the massage table and she photoshopped boxes of tampons underneath it and then tweeted go girls and that was just too good and then she had this great video she did mocking the NCAA's response and I just would tell everyone to go watch that it is it is so funny but yeah I just he, seeing all of the professional women get behind all of this all of the college players was really great Amira yeah, that's absolutely correct. And the fact that it also creates more of um, 
uh, a safety net for people who do speak out. And that's really important because um, it's precarious, obviously, to to do what Sidonia did. Like, it, those are still risky moves. And when people with bigger platforms and out of the ability to, um, you know, the NCAA can't touch them, it matters, right? It, it lets them say things that, that, um, the players can, I know they're communicating, um, with each other. And I think that that is, um, like you said, Jess, like it is, it is absolutely drawing upon, um, the kind of tradition that we see coming. And the other thing that we see in that, right, is it's not only that it gives the opportunity for athletes to speak up, but it creates, um, uh, it kind of reinforces the platform that the women's college basketball coaches have. And we know that, you know, f- folks like Muffet McGraw and Don Staley have never pulled their punches before, right? But their ability to weigh in on the tournament that they're participating in also shown through this week with some amazing statements, right, Jess? Yeah, I think so. We have one from Don Staley. We have one from Muffet McGraw, who's obviously retired now, but still. And then uh, Tara Vanderveer from Stanford. And I think the thing, they're really pointed. They don't pull any punches. They really go hard and they go really hard at the NCAA in particular. So like Don wrote, we need Mark Emmerich, who is the president of the NCAA and remained pretty quiet through all this. We need Mark Emmerich and his team to own this mistake and address these issues and the overarching issues that exist in our support. I really, Tara Vanderveer, this is how her statement began. A lot of what we've, what we've all seen this week is evidence of blatant sexism. This is purposeful and hurtful. I feel betrayed by the NCAA. Wow, right? I just... I think that this is so powerful. And one thing that it does do is it backs up these players who are particularly vulnerable within this system. And it allows, like, these coaches can take this heat, right? And these are, Muffet doesn't even work (laughs) on any of this anymore. They They can take it themselves. And I just, I'm super cynical about the NCAA. So I don't know what this means for next year's tournament, honestly. But it's really lovely to see that they are just, saying it is the NCAA's fault and they need to be the ones to fix this. Yeah, I completely agree. And I also want to say you notice who's not releasing public statements as well um, during this. I notice the coaches and I'm disappointed in the coaches who haven't released public statements. And of course, uh, because there's there are not ASAP uh, transcripts, which is another inequity that there aren't uh, transcripts from every press conference given um, made publicly available until this Sweet 16 versus the men, which have them publicly available already. So unless you're in every single press conference, it's hard to know exactly who's being asked what and, you know, what's happening. Um, but I, you know, I've been hoping to see more from Brenda Freeze, who just was named coach of the year. Um, and a lot of these prominent male coaches as well within women's basketball, you know, I'd like to see um, more pointed statements because I just feel like it gives their players permission, right? It Like you're saying, it takes cover from the players and, um, and that's important. Another thing that's been happening in the wake of all this is, of course, it is important to say that like, 
the NCAA, I mean, this has all been so blatant that not even the NCAA could really like excuse them. Like they had to just say we're, we're but they still tried. Well, they, they tried to give excuses, but ultimately had to say we're wrong, which I'm not giving them any credit. I'm just showing how bad this was because they avoid saying we're wrong at all costs. Yeah. And part of it was that there were people before they blatantly said we did it like this is our fault. There were people who were still trying to give them a benefit of the doubt. Right. Like that. This is I'm sure it was going to get better. I'm sure that this wasn't. And it was like, They're no, no. Setting up yet. <laughs> yeah, that there was I just don't understand why people feel like they need to give these institutions that have this clear history of exploitation and of telling the women that they're lesser. Like it was wild to watch people give them the benefit of the doubt. And then it so there was a relief, I've gotta say, for the NCAA to just say, This was our fault, we messed up. Because they don't normally even do that. Absolutely, but I do think that it's really instructive to watch the blueprints that like the playbooks they were trying to try on yes. before that right and even if it happened fast right so first and foremost it was like we didn't have the space we were going to do this at sweet 16 we know that's faulty logic we saw that video change that right but then very quickly saying oh the food issue that's not on us that's that's the hotel like that's we'll work with them to do local food but that that a is cover and b doesn't talk about how they're regulating people in in restricting them even teams who want to order out to support their girls to eat in different ways right but you saw that move they said oh the swag bags are equal value and then like so there was all of these attempts to still do the walk back and the passing the ball and stuff like that and you're right like it was it ended up being so so spotlighted for so long that they absolutely had to you know walk that back but it's not for Severe no. lack of trial. <laughs> I mean, severe True. attempts in in their in their in their um, own regard, and and not and when we're talking about public pressure, right? Like it's not just and this will you know lead us into talking about these corporations. You know, they're like, oh, we'll 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 adjust that, but it wouldn't have moved so fast if Orange Theory and Dix and Tonal hadn't said. No, we got you. Dix is tweeting a picture in turn two movie vans saying, we've loaded up equipment. We can be there to set up a thing. That's embarrassing. And that that mattered in terms of the speed in which they responded. But it's not because the NCAA like woke up and decided to give a damn this weekend. And I'm not saying that you're saying that what it is, but I'm saying that these are the things where you could see them trying to continue to be as awful as they usually are. And the things that, that created and pushed them to a place where they had to do at least the spa like weight room. I do have to say though, so there was, we saw, I think it was, you know, Orange Theory and, and Dicks and these, you know, a few corporations seize this moment. I got frustrated by that too, though. Like I got why it was important and why it was important in this like narrative. But as someone who covers the merchandise issue in uh, women's sports, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, Dicks is very quick to blame others and blame the pipeline and blame the people they work for for not providing enough, you know, women's merch. Um, whereas if you look in their stores, you know, you just can't find any and they have power in this space. And, um, you know, there was, and it wasn't just, you know, that the corporation, it was all of these media entities, you know what I mean? The USA Today, um, the, you know, uh, Sports Illustrated, these places that like don't always do the best job covering ESPN. Yeah, ESPN. I watched Jay Billis on ESPN go hard. And you're like, where are you all the other times, Jay? 
<laughs> Where are you when they're being spectacular? ESPN has actually been a little bit better about it this tournament, which I must say they they hold the rights to the women's tournament. So there's there's that. But it'll be interesting to see how they actually handle it on the broadcast because we haven't we're recording before we've actually seen them broadcast but, a game. Like, and that to me is like right part and parcel of the frustration. Lindsay, you've talked about this before about like the disproportionate media covers coverage of calamity right whether it's like a fight or a scandal or whatnot right and it's so frustrating today the women's tournament will kick off of the 714 days of not having a women's tournament they are this is a wide open tournament the talent is ridiculous right and yet we're not we can't even we're like that's not even what all, all First, of, yeah we're talking about curtains and a Right. All of these people who want to be invested and want to like generate clicks by being captain save a a a team and showing up with their things like that's great. But also like all of this energy can feel so frustrating if you're like it shouldn't have taken an edible food and you know a nicely shot TikTok video to compel this level of investment interest. And it also shouldn't be centered on the disparity. And completely missing the fact that there is a wide open, very talented tournament that if we all like close our eyes about the pandemic and can force ourselves to enjoy to watch is about to kick off. And I think you're right. It will be very interesting to see a how they handle it in the broadcast, but also what coverage it looks like throughout the tournament. Right. After this has kind of died down, is that same energy there? Is that same attention there? Is that same kind of command for respect and all of these kind of platitudes there? when we're talking about the game, when we're talking about the athletes, when we're talking about the performances. Um, that's what I'm waiting to see. You know, one of the one of the things I just want to make sure we stress is like this is just a, a a small part of a much bigger picture of Title IX still not being equal of when these, you know, I want to yell at every single media person who's making tweets about this and say, okay, if you're getting retweets for pointing this out, then by law, you have to say men's basketball and women's basketball or men's sports and women's sports. Like, or I'm like putting you in jail or something, right? Like, stop referring, like part of this problem is like, uh, you know, the language, right? Of using basketball as the default to mean men's basketball and then women's basketball, which the NCAA does itself and its branding. CBS portrays itself as the official NCAA tournament app, the official everything, but they only have rights to the men's tournament. And, it, you know, this is part of a much bigger picture. And Jess, I know you've covered a lot of title, bigger Title IX pictures here. And I wanted to see if you can just like, how does this, how does stuff like this play out on campuses every day? There's almost no school that meets Title IX requirements. I, would, I think it's almost impossible to find them. So we just have like a systemic problem around equity within sport. And yeah, back in 2017, I wrote a specific piece about this for SB Nation with my friend Avital uh, called Title Fight. And it was about the Quinnipiac women's rugby team. But it was stuff like they literally couldn't get a field to play on that was the right size. So they couldn't practice all of their moves the way they were supposed to. The fields would have lots of rocks, so they would literally injure themselves. But then they weren't given access to trainers. Like a lot of these women's teams just don't even have the same kind of like people to take care of their health, which we can talk all day about like tiny locker rooms or, you know, old equipment or borrowed uniforms and stuff. But like even basic stuff, I just can't get that. Like their health is not even a priority. And again, I'll just 
I say this all the time, and I know I am a broken record on it, but these are educational institutions. These are students, and this is how we treat them. So it is just a systemic endemic problem within sport everywhere. And I think we all know it. And I think that's part of why these things hit in the way that they do. Yeah. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that there's also this kind of hashtag campaign going on, not in NCAA property, um, which was a protest launched last week by Rutgers basketball player Gia Baker, Iowa's um, Jordan Bohannon, and Michigan's Isaiah Livers, um, who are all upperclassmen on men's Big Ten teams. And, um, you know, Baker had said, the NCAA owns my name and image and likeness. Um, and someone on music scholarships can profit from an album. Someone on academic scholarships can have tutor service. For people who say an athletic scholarship is enough, anything less than equal rights is never enough. I am hashtag not NCAA property. We saw, um, you know, Livers actually wear his T-shirt um, um, before the game this weekend, and that made a lot of news. But I think there's been a lot of questioning of, like, First of all, how are the women involved in this campaign? And is this going to lead to any boycotts? Like, what are the changes we're seeing here? And also, how does the women's game incorporate it? Amir, do you have any thoughts on on that part of the activism? Yeah, I mean, like, I think there's two big things here. One, um, I think that the idea about leverage, right? Like, when this statement came out and they were trending the hashtag, a lot of the questions was, well, are they still going to play? Which, you know, we've talked about before puts the burden right back on the shoulders of, of fairly precarious unpaid laborers. Um, but also, I think that there's a way that, um, you know, we separate these two discussions we're having when they're really tied together, right? So one of the things that you saw under comments about swag bags, or if you listen to certain, you know, ill-informed basketball players, men's basketball players, um, professional ones saying, oh, well, you're the GV- JV team, like, it doesn't matter, you're obviously your food or your swag is not going to be equitable. Well, it really betrays this entire logic of the system. The idea that, like, your stakes and your, like, $150 swag bag is equitable compensation for the billions and dollars of the turn that the tournament's generating and then this like false idea about revenue and like oral roberts is not bringing the same revenue as gonzaga or as you know unc etc and they're still getting equitable swag bags right we have false ideas of a revenue b we expect all those revenue and interest without investment like we saw but also the logic here right of why the women don't deserve this is grounded in the idea that these little perks that the men's tournament is getting is what is given to athletes in lieu of compensation right and to justify the the continuation of an exploitative system that's generating billions of dollars off of these games and, and off of this labor and so I think that it's really important to have this conversation together and not to use women as a shield for name, image, and like this. We've talked about this. Lindsay has done, um, you know, fantastic reporting as well as other people on how women athletes stand to benefit from name, image, likeness as well. And all of these things are wrapped up in together in, in terms of how the NCA moves to harm its athletes, everybody on the, under the umbrella of that. And so I think that, you know, it's important to hold not not um, NCAA property in conjunction with women's players speaking out and pointing to this moment of possibility that like keeping 
this this momentum right is important because it is representing a every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team doing the same for your business doesn't take a room full of scouts you just need indeed don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with indeed hate waiting indeed's us data shows over 80 percent of indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job something i love about indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews indeed saves you time you can message schedule and interview top talent all in one place indeed knows that when you're growing your business you have to make every dollar count that's why when you sponsor a job you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description visit indeed.com blue wire to start hiring today just go to indeed.com blue wire that's indeed.com blue wire terms and conditions apply cost per application pricing not available for everyone need to hire you need indeed little bit more a step that's kind of tacking away um and and letting the NCA know that it's not it's not always business as usual and that might not mean a boycott this year but I think that they are definitely I mean best believe there are there are panicked conversations happening inside the NCAA because it is indisputable that that a tide is rising and these players um and their voices are at the center of it and I wish them all a uh Great tournament and uh, continued ability to speak out and, and keep going. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? This is Shireen, and I have struggled with anxiety and depression in the past. I've often turned to counseling and therapy to help me through. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. And there's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in many areas. But this service is available for clients worldwide. Flamethrowers, wherever you are, BetterHelp can help you. You can log in to your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, which may not even be possible in a pandemic anyway. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read testimonials that are posted there daily. Visit betterhelp.com burn, that's better H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they have started recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Special offer for Burn It All Down listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com burn. That's betterhelp.com B-U-R-N.
For this week's interview, Brenda interviews friend of the show, Dr. Frank Ritty, on his new book, The Sports Revolution, How Texas Changed the Culture of American Athletics on the Integration of Sports During Its Hyper-Commodification. So you've got this major industry emerging around sports, uh, sports media, professional sports, collegiate sports, happening at the same time that marginalized peoples are, are fighting for and winning uh, uh, unprecedented political, social, and cultural space in the United States. And that, uh, the, and that the civil rights struggle has an enormous impact on uh, how we understand sports and how we've understood it uh, to this day. Okay, friends, it is time for the burn pile. We've got a good one for you this week, as always. Um, I'm going to start with, um, you know, a very serious subject this week. There have been sexual assault and misconduct allegations arising against Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. Earlier in the week, it kind of started as one. And, you know, throughout the week, we've seen it balloon. Um, The numbers balloon. We don't know a lot of details yet. Um, And uh, of course, you know, that's we'll we'll wait and see kind of how this plays plays out. But the defenses of Deshaun Watson started before any details really even emerged. The first lawsuit that we heard about, you know, was about Watson coercing a um, massage therapist to perform sexual acts on him. And when that came out, former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver Roddy White tweeted, I hate this for Deshaun Watson. The quickest way now to get a bag is to sue someone. It's impossible to make someone give you oral sex. This is a far stretch and everybody wants to get paid. Now, look, we do not know the full details. We're, like I said, we're reserving judgment on the lawsuit itself. But I want to say if you can't defend people um, or stand up for your friends without perpetuating rape myths, then don't. Shut up. You don't have to say anything. Not asking you to condemn Deshaun Watson immediately before we know anything. Not asking anyone to give an opinion or a take on something they're not comfortable talking about. Um, and as someone who has loved Deshaun Watson and rooted for him, you know, I certainly uh, don't want any of this to be true. You don't want any of this to be true about anyone. But don't spread false rumors. Don't immediately think that women are out for money. Don't immediately say that you can't coerce, um, you know, oral sex, which we know is is just not true. That's just false. It's a misunderstanding completely of power dynamics. And I've just seen so much this week of how there's no way Deshaun Watson could do any of this because he's a good guy. Or the Houston Texans are starting this as a smear campaign against Deshaun Watson because of the trade value. You know, he wants to get traded. So people are now just trying to smear his reputation. And I just think the fact that we immediately jump to those types of defenses, we immediately jump to the fact that these women, the only way they could possibly be doing this is for money and or to ruin a man's reputation. And um, there's no way it can be true because this guy was nice to me once. Like these things just aren't true. So, um, you know, this isn't a burn pile for Deshaun Watson. This is a burn pile for the rhetoric that we use when we talk about um, sexual assault allegations, which this week just perpetuated why more women don't come forward and survivors don't come forward. So burn. 
Um, Amira, um, you feeling a little high on sugar? <laughs> yeah. <I don't> know. <laughs> All right, so this is about a week old, but I wasn't here, and I just had to, I just had to say something about this. Um, so last week in Oklahoma, um, during a, a girls' basketball game, uh, as the Star Spangled Banner played, the broadcasters on the NFHS network stream told listeners they would return after a break did not realize the audio was still live, and treated everybody to a running commentary of the scene unfolding in front of them. As the Norman uh, girls basketball team knelt during the national anthem, you hear announcer Matt Rowan say, they're kneeling, fuck them. I hope Norman gets their ass kicked. A little bit of a pause, and then he says, fucking N-words. You hear audio cut out, you hear somebody very quietly saying, I think somebody might have heard that. Another pause. And then they go back to calling the game. As this clip went out, we knew we would be treated to an apology. So I got my bingo card ready. Um, as you know, I like to uh, you know, check off things for the non-apology apologies that we are accustomed to hearing. And I was going great. I mean, you know, he started by saying, listen, I, I made these inappropriate comments, believing the microphone was off. So check. Um, you know, I should have never said this. I'm a family man. I'm a youth pastor. Um, you know, oh. I got the free space that I always get, which is I am not a racist, despite, you know, saying the word that even racists think is racism. Like even people who refuse to see racism everywhere agree that like, saying the n-word is like literally the only thing that will get you called a racist and he still is like this is not who i am right that so that was the free space what i did not have on my bingo board was the following excuse i will state that i suffer type 1 diabetes and during the game my sugar was spiking while not excusing my remarks, it's not unusual in my sugar spikes that I become disoriented and say things that are not appropriate as well as hurtful. I do not believe I would have made such horrible statements absent my sugar spiking. First and foremost, this is a brand new one. Second of all, what a fucked up thing to say for the type 1 diabetic community, for anybody who's ever had sugar spikes and like managed to not descend into racial slurs but besides from that i believe a few weeks ago i covered that racism is not a bone disease so you can stop looking for the racist bones that you do or do not have in your body but it's also not a blood sugar disease like that is not going to make you say the things that you said and it's just like uh, it, it took my breath away literally this 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 non-apology uh no it's ridiculous I want to note that a few days later, wearing shirts saying, this is why I kneel, the Norman girls basketball team again took a knee before the championship game, which they went on to win, capping their 19-0 perfect season, their second straight title winning the Oklahoma 6A state championship. The WNBA uh, Players Association had sent them a letter of congratulations on both their win and saying, you know, to our young sisters, the future stars of our sport and rising leaders of this country, um, you know, you have our support. And I just want to echo that sentiment that they are the future. I admire their resiliency and congrats on your championship. 
um, that was the cherry on top for a team that had to deal with um, being subjected to gross, uh, sexist, uh, racist treatment. Um, as to Matt Rowan and his awful racism, his terrible apology, um, and all of the bullshit that was this, this both broadcast and the days after it, that I feel for these girls and I'm, it was painful to hear what was slaying at them for taking a stand and I admire their bravery and I hope that this only fortifies it as it seems to do. And the rest of that shit, we can burn it down. Burn. Jess? So first, I do have a small burn, but I can I just can't believe that the men's college basketball still plays halves and not quarters. And I find it confusing every single time. And so I just want to do a little burn on the men playing halves. My bigger burn is Shaq, once again, reviving the often bandied about idea that women's basketball should lower the rim to encourage dunking. On TNT's NBA postgame show earlier this week, Shaq said the following to Candace Parker. You think if we just lowered the rim so y'all could dunk like we dunk, that that'd give y'all more oomph than you already have? Parker responded brilliantly with, nah. (laughs) She just said no. But then said that this is really about opportunity and that the dunk is coming in women's ball. This is just so exhausting. The women's game doesn't need a new rim height. It needs financial and media support. The game is already great and exciting and implying otherwise is ignorance. The legend herself, Cynthia Cooper, rejected Shaq's proposal outright, saying men don't get to tell women how to play ball, and then dropped the hammer with, quote, we didn't tell guys to bring the rim closer so Shaq could make a free throw. (laughs) Neka Gwumake, on a panel with our own Amira Rose Davis a few years back, responded brilliantly to the idea of lowering the rim. So we're constantly being compared to men. We have people excelling at a 10 foot rim. And now you want us to lower the rim so we can continually be compared only to still be criticized because now you have someone like me who has done what she's done. Now I have to relearn the game to appease people who don't want to watch it for what it is. She's right, of course. The point of asking this is to suggest that the game should be something else and that that something else is whatever men have imagined it to be. And I firmly believe that if women started dunking, the criticism would morph. It's not going to go away. The women wouldn't jump high enough. The dunks themselves would be called boring or they'd be painted as excessive or showy. It's uh, The goalposts are always moving. On a recent episode of the excellent new basketball podcast, Spinsters, hosted by Jordan Liggins and Haley O'Shaughnessy, Natalie Weiner goes in-depth on the idea that women don't dunk. It's a brilliant episode. You should just go listen to the whole thing. But I do want to draw attention to two things that Natalie says in the episode. First, women can dunk, and they've been dunking for decades now. But they aren't actually encouraged to do so, and they aren't consistently taught how. And so, as she says, quote, at some point over the past 30 to 40 years, saying women can't dunk became a self-fulfilling prophecy. But there's something more important, though, that's underneath all of this. There's something bigger embedded in how we talk about and why we talk about dunking so much. A dunk is not just a dunk. The reason it's so fraught for women who play basketball isn't because of the act itself, but because of what it symbolizes. Raw athletic ability, strength and speed and dominance, traits that women supposedly don't have. So if dunking is possible for women, if it's something they can reach towards, 
a whole world of athleticism and power between what's been conventionally understood as the quote-unquote women's game and the air above the rim opens up. Phew. Preach. So let's burn the idea of lowering the rim and even asking about lowering the rim altogether. Burn. Burn. All right. After that burning, it's time to lift up our torch bearers of the week. Uh, Jess, who are our ice queens of the week? <laughs> Wisconsin's women's hockey team won their sixth national championship, defeating Northeastern in overtime. They are technically back-to-back champs, having won in 2019 and last year's tournament canceled due to COVID. Congratulations to Wisconsin. Woo! And Amira, who are our game changers of the week? Our game changers of the week are the WNBA's Players Association, along with Steph Curry, who were both awarded the Jack Robinson Sports Award for their, quote, high achievement in athletics, in addition to their contributions in the pursuit of social justice, civil rights, and community involvement. I think these are both tremendous choices, so congrats to you, Steph, and to all of the WNBA's Players Association for continuing to lead the way um, and setting the blueprint for what athletic activism and involvement looks like. Woo! Love to see getting their flowers in real time. All for it. All right, our torchbearers for this week. I just wanted to lift up, um, you know, the Asian community as a whole, but particularly those in sports and the broadcasting side and athletes who are really using their voices to speak out against anti-Asian hate and to um, educate um, those who aren't Asian about the discrimination they face since COVID and well before that. Um, we're going to hear a few clips. The first is going to be from Around the Horn, um, the ESPN show. Uh, that one's this week from March 17th um, about this is from Pablo Torre and Mina Kimes. Um, two of the most prominent um, Asian-American you know, broadcasters, especially in sports and the game. Um, and then we've got a clip from Caitlin Ohashi from a year ago about um, anti-Asian racism during the time of COVID. And then we've got Jeremy Lin um, from once again before this latest attack. But talking, this is a video from Bleacher Report. Um, which is produced in which uh, Jeremy Lin um, gives his thoughts on how we can support the community. So just want to say we're thinking of all of you. We hope that all of our Asian listeners are really taking care of themselves and sending love and support and listen to these voices. And thank you for using your voices. And this is a story, Tony, that is just the latest step in a horrifying year that has been defined for Asian Americans by hate crimes and racist abuse and bigotry. And the upshot in all of this is that a lot of Asian Americans feel unsafe. Oftentimes we're afraid to say that. We're afraid to butt into the conversation because we often feel like maybe it's not our place, but this is our place. It is our time to be heard and to have a seat at the table. And if you're not Asian American and you're listening to this and processing this, please take the time to listen and take what we're saying seriously because Asian lives do matter. And so does the conversation that we're finally having around people who hopefully can get more that they deserve. Yeah, um, just like to echo what Pablo said, you know, we're still waiting for details on this, but it does come at a time when crimes are up, uh, in particular against Asian women. 
I think of the last time we talked about on this show when Jeremy Lin uh, came out and said he had been called coronavirus by another player in the G League. And And he said that not to punish that player who he didn't name, but to remind people, to remind our political leaders that your words matter, your acknowledgement that this is happening matters, and your support for the Asian community, my community, it matters a great deal, especially at a time like this. So many people are confused during this time, and the acts of violence against Asian Americans is skyrocketed, and I think it's not anything new. So to come together with the Global Solidarity Act, I think we just need to band together. There was a lady with cancer that went into the store to help her husband, and she had a face mask on, and she got chased out of the store because they thought she had the coronavirus. Um, Another thing is there are three grocery stores or three stores open, and two were American-owned stores, and the one in the middle was an Asian-American-owned store, and that was the only one that got vandalized. We're tired. We're tired of our cries and anguish not being heard. Show me what community looks like. We're tired of our pain being overlooked. We're tired of keeping our heads down or not making any trouble when our elders are being assaulted, stabbed, and killed. Wouldn't you be? The hate-fueled attacks on Asian Americans are disturbing, but why are we surprised? For many of us as Asian Americans in this country, we know what it feels like to be told we don't belong, that we're perpetually foreigners. And even though others try to minimize us to one entity, we represent so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds, so many different stories. We're tired of this hateful violence. We're tired of talking about it, but we're not done speaking out, far from it. Listen to your AAPI brothers and sisters. We must learn to love one another, to hear one another's anguish and actually care. Don't overlook the pain those around you are experiencing on a daily basis. Reach out to offer your support, to educate others, and let's put an end to this violence and hate together. All right, friends, uh, we've made it through the episode. Uh, Is there anything good going on in your life? Um, Amira, you actually have things written in the doc, so I'm going to start with you. (laughs) Yeah, so I got back from my writing retreat in Hilton Head. Um, Me and Samaya went down. I had a week to write and work on the final push of my book. It was amazing to be on Sun. I ran on the beach. Me and Samari had a... She held my hand. We held pinkies through the whole state of North Carolina. It was like, who is this child? I loved it. She convinced me to go bike riding one day during a riding break. I rode a bike that like went places. Like it just like it moved and (laughs) pedaled. I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, but I do have to tell you a story. Technology. I I got on the bike and Samari was like, "Hmm, how's your Peloton training helping you? In like a, a little teenage voice. And then I was going, so we were biking for about an hour. And so around 50 minutes in, on the second loop, I was still going strong because of my pillow legs. And this girl, out of breath, walking her bike, 
completely discombobulated. She like rolled into a bush. She almost ran over a poor old lady. You are like, lucky that she held your pinky all through North Carolina. I, Listen yeah. to you. She was just absolutely coming afire. And so I looked over and I said, maybe you should ride the Peloton more often. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was great. Um, but we had a lovely time. It was, it was tremendous. And, um, um, yeah, I would, ha I have to, um, make two other quick things that were really good. Um, one, I have upcoming talks. I am, I was awarded the Sherman, um, annual lectureship at UNC Wilmington. And while I'm very sad that I can't go down to the beach and hang out in Wilmington for the week in person, I'm happy that this has been delayed, but I'm happy that it's actually happening this week. So I will be giving a big public talk there on Wednesday night, um, the 25th, about um, my research in sports and global protest. Um, and then the next day, there will be a public um, senior scholar response panel um, featuring reactions to my work and another discussion. So those are big events happening this week. They're public. They're on Twitter for the Zoom links and all that stuff. So I'm very excited for that also because I think it closes out my Black History Month, Women's History Month gauntlet of events. Um, and then the best what's good for me is as I was driving down to Hilton Head, I called my friend Sarah to say, hey, like I might need to park my car at your house. And she was like, I can't, I'm in labor. And 45 minutes later, her second daughter, Raha, was born. Um, and when we were driving back up a week later, she was home and, and rested. And since we were vaccinated, they're vaccinated, we were able to see the baby um, on our way back up. And um, so I just want to say welcome to the world, Raha. Um, happy Noruz for all our Iranian listeners and friends and family. Um, and that is absolutely my what's good. That was Yay. that was really good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Jess, uh, I'm going to make you follow that because... Uh. Mine is not that. Uh, I will say I have the not this weekend, but the two weekends previous, I volunteered down at a mass vaccination site here in Austin, and it was wonderful. Uh, it was just really lovely to chat with strangers, which is not something I've actually been able to do in a year, and then also participate in people being able to get vaccinated. There was one lady who actually I checked her in, and then she just started crying. Because she wasn't, she had never gotten the confirmation email, so she didn't 100% know that she was in the system. And so when I just kind of casually checked her in because she was in there, she just broke down with relief that she was actually going to get her vaccination that day. And it was really lovely to participate in any of that and feel like part of the community again and to feel like you were doing something positive after this year of just a slew of negative things. Uh, later today, we're supposed to get Google Fiber. So we're very excited to see how that goes. Uh, last night as we were, you know, streaming television and every time it blipped, it was like, well, Google's going to fix this tomorrow. So we'll see if that actually happens. And then I, I just want to say Aaron keeps being great. He, we figured out this week that my website that I've had for years was just not working anymore. Apparently it had gotten hacked so many times that the world WordPress had just shut down access to it altogether. So I couldn't even log in. I couldn't change anything. The contact form didn't work. There were sites that were just missing and he fixed it. He, whatever he did, I just said, please make it so that it's easy for me. And it's now back and beautiful. And I just appreciate Aaron all the time. So that was good for me this week. Aww. Uh, I I am coming off another. I know if you listen, you know I've been been going through a rough patch, and whew, it's it's hit me again. But 
you know, uh, once again, uh, grace, the grace of people around me has gotten me through it. Patience of people around me. And um, a, a good thing is I'm getting really close to being done decorating my condo. Uh, so I kind of had to take a break in the month of February because I didn't have any money the month of February, but then I got a lot of, you know, money for the year being in March. And so I, you know, it's not that I've been, it's not like I'm still checking the price of stuff and trying to do everything as cheaply as I can, but I'm also doing everything I wanted. You know what I mean? Like I'm getting everything like I want to get, even though I'm like looking for the cheapest kind. But I've, so this week, the prints I've gotten printed out for my gallery wall should come in and I've got the frames. So now I just have to put it up, which of course will be really obnoxious, but getting really close to getting this place to the point where uh, it really feels good. And that's exciting to me. Um, and I have to just take a moment. So I found out this week that I think it's really easy, especially when you're at a place where you feel like you're not producing your best work or not producing any work at all because you're just stuck and just to feel really down. But um, I found out that in, so it wasn't a Supreme Court opinion. I think people got confused. This isn't the opinion, but it was a brief filed for a Supreme Court case like that's that's about to be talked about. But two of my pieces on how ending uh, NCAA amateurism will would help women, you know, that um, to my pieces that really counteract the argument of, you know, this would really impact Title IX, um, were included in that briefing. And so that was really cool to like see that a power plays and a think progress piece were included in a Supreme Court briefing. Like, very <laughs> yeah, cool. Like, had your name in it. It had my name. And it will be there for like, forever. Like, that's so just cool. like, that's just like forever. And, you know, I talked to the person who did it and she just said, she said, uh, First of all, uh, she had actually notified me about this like a week or two earlier, which is a reason to check your DMs um, on Twitter, the ones that are like in weird hidden folders. Um, so do that. But also, um, you know, she said, she said, we were really happy that in the middle of this, it was a briefing kind of on behalf of all these players associations. So, um, you know, NBA Players Association, WNBA Players Association. And she was like, we were really happy that we were able to counteract the, the Title IX myth. Do you know what I mean? Like within this. So um, that was cool. And I was excited about that. So, um, you know, that's some goodness I'm going to take, take through to keep going. Thank you all so much for supporting Burn It All Down. Um, we are everywhere um, that podcasts are. I think it's just the easiest way to say it. Uh, and if you go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, that helps us so, so, so much. Um, and for what, are watching, what we're watching this week, um, I'm sure there's other things going on, but I'm going to be watching the NCAA tournament. So <laughs> I get athletes United volleyball and athletes United volleyball. Thank you. Okay. I am, am watching that. Cause that's, that's rounding, um, down. So we've got some really exciting, uh, games coming from that. And yeah, I'm just excited. There's lots of women's sports on TV right now. So let's do it. So I want to thank, um, 
First of all, our patrons for supporting us on patreon.com plus burn all down. We had a really fun fireside chat with our um, patrons last week. And it was uh, another one. That's another what's good. That was another one of those soul affirming yeah, things just to be able very to fun. talk to our listeners. So if you support the Patreon, you can be a part of those going forward. Um, and also, as always, want to thank our social media guru, Shelby Walden. And... Um, our producer for this episode, Allie Lemer. <laughs>